everyone welcome to antibodies today we have two new hosts with us eugenio and natalie can you guys introduce yourselves uh hi uh my name is natalie graham i am a fourth year graduate student at the city of hope comprehensive cancer center and i study b-cell biology and microRNAs. Hello everyone, my name is Eugenio Contreras. I'm a second year grad student at the National Autonomous University of Mexico, and I'm studying T-Rex and epigenetics. Welcome Eugenio and Natalie. I'm really glad we're doing this episode. Last week, Eugenio suggested a paper, and I will be honest, I would never have come up with this paper because I don't even look in that direction. <laughs> in colonic t-rex <laughs> but it it i really like the read and we eventually decided everybody voted on it we decided we'll do this so here we are and for today's episode we will be dealing a lot about regulatory t-cells which fortunately we have never discussed that before so this can also be somewhat of an immunology 101 episode not in great detail but a little bit right before we start i have a joke for everybody and <laughs> Just bear with me. Okay, you guys, if you know if you know it already, don't don't answer, but <laughs> Okay, what what did the four week old Fox P3 negative mouse or knockout mouse say to its mother? What? Hey you guys already know the answers. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll 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 just say it. I'll just say it. Uh nothing because it's dead. And oh. <laughs> anybody who did not get the joke, we will we will come to this part where we explain why it's not so funny because deaths are never funny, even if they're mice. Uh, the before we start about the paper, wait, what's the title again? Anybody has the paper pulled up? An immunogenetic mode of multi-generational transmission governs a get gut T reg set point by. Uh, Ramananan mm-hmm. et al. Yeah, the, the paper title, it, it's obscure according to me. I I, I find it very difficult to <laughs> yeah, like wrap I my head around it. Yeah. Like what what are they talking about? Until you read the abstract. <laughs> but anyway, we have some terminology, and let's start with it because this is a heavy T-reg regulated T-cell heavy paper. We cannot start without we mention some of the molecules and some of the concepts associated with regulatory t-cells so let's begin first one uh, i'll start with the first one we have just regulatory t-cells and these are a specialized type of t-cells that originate every every t-cell originates in the bone marrow then they go to the thymus and these regulatory t-cells actually have the job of maintaining tolerance and that means they suppress inflammation they make sure self tissues and a lot of foreign things like food and bacteria that inhabit our gut or even in the eyes they do not get removed by our own immune system so they are a kind of anti t cells they do what the t cells do but the opposite of that mm-hmm. the <laughs> next thing yeah they uh kind of balance out the other side of the t reg thing even uh, the t cell uh, response. They're CD4 positive, like all the effector T cells that we're used to knowing, but they do exactly the opposite and tell them to calm down and stop destroying things when, you know, they get out of hand. A key transcription factor that defines who these cells are, it's called FOXP3. Yes, for sure. So FOXP3, as uh, J18 said, is like a transcription factor that uh, gives the uh, identity of T-Rex. Uh, so it gives the cell the the capacity for uh, developing an anti-inflammatory uh, phenotype to control other uh, T-cell phenotypes. So it's really crucial, this uh, this transcription factor. It was actually discovered, uh, you know, like a, a mutant called scurfy mice. This mice didn't have a, a functional FOXP3 uh, gene or protein, which leads to uh, the death of the animal, I think, at four weeks of age 
and this is basically <laughs> because of they lack uh, they lack T-Rex and uh, they have like an T-cell uh, inflammation like all over the the, the 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 animal and the tissues and they eventually they die the the, the animals and in, in humans we have this uh, syndrome that is called Epex which is uh, an, uh, an X, X chromosome link uh, uh, phenotype which leads to you know so again inflammation and autoimmunity and the, the only treatment is uh, I think is bone marrow transfer from a patient to another right yeah, that, that's a good introduction. And that also yes. explains our joke, our dark joke. Everybody knows how awful we are. <laughs> Thank you for listening to it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's scurvy. Any any scurvy mice are those mice that have a defect in FOXP3. IPEX is a, this syndrome for humans. And anybody knows what IPEX stands for? It's a real tongue twister. Oh yes. no! It's it's very weird. It's like immune dis dysregulation, polyendocrinopathy, X-linked syndrome. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I got something wrong there, but it's it's a, it's a it's meant to not re be remembered. <laughs> I like yes. scurfy better. Let's just go with that. <laughs> yeah, scurfy humans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so FOXB3, it's like the soul of this T-Rex, right? Mm -hmm. Another molecule that helps. T-Rex stay T-Rex is CD25. Uh, Natalie? Yeah, so uh, CD25 actually senses the, the cytokine uh, IL-2. So uh, this not only helps it maintain its FOXP3 uh, expression, it's it's also helping kind of create this balance because, um, you know, IL-2 will activate other types of effector T-cells, T but then if the Treg is, is also activated by IL-2 and is soaking up IL-2, then uh, via CD25, then that's kind of the regulatory loop that creates the balance between those guys. Yeah, that, that that's right. It's just a surface protein helping, like becoming also a sponge for IL-2 and also yeah. requirement for T-Rex to say that. I just posted a meme on Antibody's <laughs> uh, Facebook page about this, and I hope people who did not understand it now find it relevant. <laughs> And yeah, going down, we also have uh, these T-Rex. These now they have this FOXP3 uh, transcription factor. This helps them secrete a lot of anti-inflammatory cytokines. Some of these cytokines are interleukin-10, TGF-beta, IL-35. They can also induce apoptosis directly in T-cells through contact. So there's a lot of ways how T-Rex work. And I will be honest, we're not going through the mechanisms of action for T-Rex in this article, just because we already, like in this discussion, just because we already have a lot to discuss. But yeah, T-Rex do things in a varied number of ways. In cancers and in autoimmunity, we know that there's always an imbalance. If you read a lot of cancer, cancer articles, you will see strategies to deplete T-Rex because immune suppression is not what you want in cancers that's what cancers want not you <laughs> and in and in autoimmune diseases there's the opposite you have dysfunctional t-rex or you just have not enough number of t-rex and because of that you have this uncontrolled inflammation so quite opposite roles in two completely opposite disorders now that we have talked yeah. about t-rex let's talk about the types of t-rex you know, T-cells, we call them that because, you know, thymus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but in fact, T-regs may originate either in the thymus or they can be induced peripherally. So we call T-T-regs are the ones that are actually generated in the thymus and uh, they, they arise through negative selection and they're able to uh, recognize uh, what's called autoantigens, which are basically peptides that they might find out in... Uh, you know, the body, and those are the antigens that belong to you and should not be attacked for any reason. But there's also peripheral Tregs, which we call PTregs, and they're induced in the periphery. Um, so usually with help from the dendritic cells. Uh, importantly, the thymic Tregs are defined by this transcription factor Helios, whereas peripheral ones don't have it, and they have instead something called uh, ROR gamma. I don't know if you call it Roar Gamma. Roar. Yeah, I but, always uh, call it Roar Gamma, but then I've never had to say it. <laughs> I 
so yeah. <laughs> actually not all peripheral yeah. T-Rex uh, express roar gamma, but some of them do. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but the ones that they're talking in the, about in the paper are these That's ones that right. hang out actually in, in the gut and they're a roar gamma positive. Um, and if you don't have these specific type of Tregs, you're going to have microbacterial dysbiosis. You'll have more of these pro-inflammatory T cells called TH17s that also hang out in the gut. And you're more susceptible to a disease called colitis, which is an inflammatory disease. And that's a test that we can do on mice to test uh, how they respond to inflammation. Yeah, these so in every tissue there is some local population of T-Rex, and that means make sure just in that tissue things are uh, kept in control. And in the colon and in the and the gut, there are these raw gamma-T positives that are doing about the same thing. So just just for a recap, we got thymic T-Rex that maintain tolerance towards self-antigens, and we got these peripheral T-Rex that maintain tolerance towards foreign antigens is is that is that right yes yeah and it's re really clever the system like how the, the immune system evolved because you with the timic t-rex you protect from autoantigens and with the peripheral you protect from particular microbes and other uh, antigens that could be found in the environment so it's really clever system to to maintain yeah. it's it's like it's like we know that we have to be at peace with some yes. foreign particles in order to survive. Totally. We cannot just we cannot just remove all immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, coming coming back to raw gamma T positive T Rex. Yes, uh, the mice that don't have it, they die of uh, they they get colitis, yes. right? Or do they also die? Um. I thought they had a problem with like their uh, micro microbiome, and then they get sick and die from that. Okay, yeah, but that's but possible. I thought colitis was induced with DSS. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're probably very useful. Like, it's not as bad as a FOXV3 deletion completely because that's losing all the T-Rex. But just not having these T-Rex in the gut, it still makes you sick. Yes. And that's the yeah. that's the uh, kind of T-Rex we will talk about these colonic T-Rex. In this article, they have used certain, a lot of actually not certain. They've used two very specific mice strains. And when I say mice strains, just know that they're talking about mice that can be bred together. That means they're still the same species, but they have very slightly ge different genetic background. So they have different susceptibility to diseases. They have different susceptibility to pathogens and all sort of thing. I don't think we actually understand everything about how different strains act different. We, no. we just know well, they have some MHC differences. Yeah. That's the primary thing I go with, but I, I'm pre pretty sure there's other things that are going wrong or different. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's like having, you know, a German Shepherd versus a Dalmatian, right? It's yes. like Black Six versus Bulb C or whatever. But uh, what's nice about using these different strains to study differences between them is that each strain is supposed to be very, very inbred mm -hmm. within itself to be as genetically similar as possible. Oh, yeah. So they've been crossed back for literally like a hundred <laughs> mouse generations, which is insane. <laughs> like, yeah, it is insane. Sometimes if you think, think about things on an ethical level, it's very harsh, but then that's what you have to do for science. It's like there is no clean science. Mm -hmm. There is, there are always deaths. If not human, then there are animal deaths associated. Well, that's mm -hmm. that's that's. There's no other way to improve Un until we get some kind of. Maybe one day we have in silico models that perfectly, <laughs> perfectly mirror real life. But how can you make an in silico model if you don't even understand? how things go on in, in reality. Maybe someday. And in this article, <laughs> there's also a lot of discussion, like some discussion about the entero memory axis. Can somebody explain this? So basically it's like the axis between the mother and the pup or the, the child, mm -hmm. I guess. And it's basically through the milk. So breastfeeding, it's one of the, the important part here for a uh, mother to go uh, transmission. And 
it, you know, as we know that milk has a lot of like proteins, uh, growth factors, antibodies. And yeah, this is the basically the, the you know, the, the thing that surrounds the article, that the, the things that have the milk will induce this uh, phenotype of this interesting paper. So is it is it also other way like you have you have from the milk to the gut of the kid, but also from the gut to the milk of the mother? Is it also going? I, I mean, that's what this paper is about. Yeah, right? is that there, <laughs> there's something going from yes, the mother's sure. gut to the mother's milk to the baby. It's probably, yeah. it's probably a circle like you have. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also going the other direction, just in a different organism yes. in that case. Like it's from your mother to the kid, but also from the mother's gut yes. to the mother's uh, memory mm-hmm. glands, right? Okay. And what, what else do we have here? Yeah, multi-generational transmission. That's something that this paper discusses a lot. That it's just not like when we think about inheritance, we we so we immediately think about DNA. That's the inherited genetic material. Some people may also think about epigenetics. But are there other ways where information can be passed from parents to to offsprings without having any genetic or epigenetic basis of it? Well, we will find out that. <laughs> did, did I just give out a spoiler? I may have given out a spoiler. I'm really sorry. I, I mean, if they would just read the abstract, <laughs> yes. they'd get the whole thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, I think I think this all of that is uh, good enough uh, introduction to the basic terms. We, we have covered what are T-Rex, a specific type of T-Rex, which is ROR gamma T positive T-Rex found in the colon. And we have talked about some molecules, not a lot, some molecules important for T-Rex to function. So let's actually begin talking about what this paper wants us to talk about. We know that there, there are autoimmune diseases and there are autoinflammatory diseases. And I'll be honest, I did not know the distinguishing, dis, distinguishing Distinguishment? What is the word? Distinct. Distinguishing. Distinguishing, yeah. factor, distinguishing factor between <laughs> autoimmunity and autoinflammatory diseases. But I, I just, I just recently read that one of them, autoimmunity, you have an immune response against your own antigens, which what most people think about. But autoinflammatory diseases, you have immune response against other things, but in the end, it's your own tissues that are getting damaged. And an example would be colitis, where you have gut, the bacteria in the gut, they could be in a wrong place where they're not supposed to be. They, they warrant, they ask for an immune response and that immune response not only kills the bacteria, it actually inflames the whole gut. And that would be an auto-inflammatory response. And these, these disorders, they have very different presentation, how they, oh, how they show up, how they come, where they come from the etiology and even the severity, it's very variable within these disorders. But we know that there are certain factors that do contribute to the pathogenesis in autoimmunity and autoinflammation. So what are these factors? I mean, it could be anything. Like there's been the GWAS studies that suggest Mm -hmm. that a lot of things are genetic, but clearly not every autoimmune disease is genetic. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's, of course, the epigenetics and um, there's you know, what else there could be around you that's uh, environmental, like microflora or your nutrition. Uh, hormones obviously play a huge role, uh, given that women get autoimmune disease way more than men. Yeah. So any of those things can affect how autoimmunity develops and we don't completely understand Yeah, I'll, I'll just think since you were talking about hormones and some uh, women getting more autoimmunity, I'll just give an example right here. There are, so <laughs> there are, mice models of lupus, uh, systemic lupus erythematosus, and lupus has always been known to be uh, more dominant in females. One of the things that causes lupus is TLR7 signaling. And it's so weird that TLR7 is present in X chromosome and the gene, Mm -hmm. it gets gets weirdly inactivated because, you know, during X inactivation, You, the females are supposed to have one completely turned off X chromosome and the other should be functional. But sometimes it's not clearly inactivated and you have this excess expression and that's sometimes what causes autoimmunity, possibly. Now, there is this mouse model where a part of the X chromosome gets copied to the Y chromosome. 
And you know what the interesting mm. thing is? All the male mice in this model get the disease. None of the females. <laughs> like all the males get disease just because some part of the X chromosome got copied there. So it just tells you how this X inactivation is so important. And probably it's, I think this is where the key lies why certain diseases are more prevalent in males or females. But yeah. Well, I mean, all the, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the immune uh, proteins are, are immune genes are on the X chromosome, yes. just like Fox exactly. P3. Yeah. yeah. We said there could be genetic ways, it could be epigenetic reasons, and there could be environmental cues for um, the appearance of these diseases or susceptibility where it could come from. Uh, we know that around the time of weaning, weaning is the technical term, where is it when the pups are no longer dependent on the milk? right mm-hmm. yeah the pups when the pups are no longer dependent on the milk around the time of weaning that's where tolerance to gut microbes is established so that is about 20 days after birth in mice and we know that so from previous publications we know that this is around the time when also colonic t-rex appear inside the mice and they prevent an immune response towards these microbes Right. That's that's what that's how these gut microbes are able to colonize these neonatal mice and not be cleared because we need these microbes for a variety of reason. One of them is actually to tame our immune system. Yeah. And another thing that we know is that these T-Rex, they maintain a very narrow range of numbers. If you look at, let's say, a black six mouse, a C57 black six, which is a strain of mice that are very commonly studied in immunological experiments. If you take 100 of these mice and if you count the number of T-Rex or colonic T-Rex, which is these ROR gamma T positive T-Rex in the gut, they don't vary a lot in the numbers. They maintain a very tight uh, number and I think I guess that was around the question that these authors were asking. How are these numbers maintained so strictly? <laughs> yeah, and that's how this paper started. And <laughs> and yeah, so I th- I think I guess now we can talk about what these guys actually found. Yeah. All right. So now we're getting into the results, and uh, I guess the the authors opened this as a very like. Uh, simple genetic experiment. They notice that you have these two strains of mice. Again, you can think of that just like Dalmatians and German Shepherds, but they're C57 black six and bulb C mice. And they have uh, these different Treg thresholds. So uh, in the first part, they're just establishing the different thresholds and they know that these are um, pretty stable. Um, even if you have the germ-free mice, which don't have any microbiome, and then colonize them with specific strains of bacteria, you're always going to get the same amount of like a black six is always going to have so many Tregs and a bald C is always going to have so many Tregs. Um, the critical phenotype that they notice here in 1C is that if you cross these strains of mice, no matter what, the F1 generation, which is the first generation coming from a cross, these mice always have the set point uh, that their mom had. So if you cross black six mom with bob C mom, all the babies have black six T-regs. And same thing, if the bob C mom goes with a black six dad, um, all the babies will have uh, the bulb C phenotype. And what what is the so, difference between bulb C? Was there a lot of difference between the number of T-regs in bulb C and C57? Like, yeah, uh, the bulb C has far fewer. Yeah. Okay. Um, and oh yeah. Yeah, we see. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yes, and uh, <laughs> yes, the the bulb C have less uh, T-reg set point. I think this experiment is really you know it it, it tells uh, the authors that it's not something genetic because I would thought that if it's because of genetic, I would expect like a mixed uh, proportion of T-rex between B6 and bulb C. And what they found is that they all the pups have the same T-rex set point as the mother. So which in turn somehow tell uh, the authors that it's something uh, between the enteromaxis, uh, enteroaxis, sorry, that will lead to the t- T-rex I mean, set point. It, you know, it's fantastic. I guess like it could all- it could also mean that something like it could still be genetic, but what if it's just something from the mother? Like, okay. you know, mm. mitochondria, mm. we get yes. mitochondrial genes always mm. from the mother. So 
That is also possible so yeah. far. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's actually plenty of instances where uh, maternal transmission happens. Uh, of course, mitochondria, there's uh, maternal epigenetic imprinting, where basically your mom can silence your dad's genes, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so um, they, they showed that, like, uh, this, this set point will remain pretty stable into adulthood. So it's like once it's established in, in the uh, next generation of the F1 generation, then that's going to be how it's going to be forever. And they even did some more crosses to show that this was a pretty stable phenotype where they took um, basically two generations where they kept crossing them in every conceivable um different permutation and they found that no matter what it was the mom's phenotype that was dominant and would take over over the dad's phenotype and this is of course the joke that you can make that uh rr gamma t-regs follow uh, a matrilineal uh inheritance kind of like judaism so that hopefully that re <laughs> reminds you <laughs> but um yeah and then the last one uh in one f they're just showing that what you have is the, the first cross of like black six to bald C, and then they would take the babies from that generation and keep crossing it back to bald C to see if there was any kind of genetic influence, kind of like mm -hmm. Eugenio was talking about. And they found that like over several generations, the T-Reg uh, set point started to drift back towards the middle or like almost towards a bald C uh, amount but uh, it was still kind mm -hmm. of dictated by the mom. So it suggests that there's not only this matrilineal thing going on, but it is affected by genes at some level. Yeah, and probably like the, maybe the, the something, some factor that's coming from the mother is the primary factor, but it's not the only factor. And, and just to be clear, like since we are talking about this phenotype, we are, we are talking about the number of colonic T-Rex. That's all the phenotype we are looking at right now. So, uh, anything else for this figure, guys? No, what, figure what, what two. Did they conclude overall? Uh, I guess. I guess the major conclusion here is that the prevalence of RR gamma T regs in the, you know, colon is transmissible to offspring, and this occurs through the mother. Okay. Yeah. So. So. <laughs> that yeah, that's some that's something. Like if if my mom has. Two million <laughs> T-Regs, like in her gut, probably I'll have similar numbers. <laughs> assuming, assuming these things are translatable to humans. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that's a great question. <laughs> so then the next question they set out to answer in Figure Two, it's like, okay, it's coming from the mom, but at what maternal stage is she contributing this RR gamma um, T-Reg phenotype? So this is a really interesting. Uh, way that they looked at things is that they cross fostered so that means that if you know the black six mouse has babies and the bulbsy mouse has pups you you have the bulbsy uh, mice raised by the black six mm -hmm. uh, mom and vice versa so now you have the other moms raising the other pups and I don't even know how they got to this point <laughs> rationally, but it's, it's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> and what they what they found is that the mice actually acquired the RR gamma uh, T reg proportions of their foster mother instead of their birth mother, not, which is weird because yeah. that seemed like huh? that tells you it's probably not genetic Genetics. at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it doesn't seem very genetic. Um, and it's like, as soon as you have this acquired T-Reg set point, that is a transmissible trait to generation. the next generation, even of their same genotype. Um, and then in the next thing we have where they looked at what time, like what time points that the mice had to be fostered in order to have this uh, transmission occur. And it's basically that you have to have the mothers uh, foster the pups within the first uh, three to seven days. And that will dictate the T-Reg set point. If it's after, oh, it's after three days, then they will not be able to acquire the T-Reg set point. And that's probably because so, of the marking, right? I guess it's something to do with, because if you 
these these mice, the mothers, they make sure that anything that comes after three days of delivery in, in B6 mice, they will not let that pup around her because she thinks anything that was within the first three days is probably hers. Mm -hmm. And anything that mm -hmm. appeared after that is not hers, so she doesn't have any responsibility towards it. No. Right? That's, That's so cruel. <laughs> That's so cruel, but yeah. So, it, so for B for B six mice, they said uh, these mothers would mark their pups within first three days. Mm -hmm. That means within first three days, they would treat them. Like if they appeared within the first three days, they the mothers would treat these pups as if they were her own. But after the third day, she wouldn't entertain any new pups. And that number was bulb C was seven days. Yes. You may even have an argument that bulb C's are more kind hearted. <laughs> Dude, have you ever held a black six mouse? Yes. They are brutal. <laughs> They're very mean. <laughs> I, I've heard, I, like, I've never handled uh, black six mice. I've handled these autoimmune mice that are, they want to kill you and they want to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you, you look at these mice and you lose all hope in in the world. <laughs> like, there's nothing good that can come out of this experiment. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've heard that bulbsy mice are very tame. They don't do. They, they don't even really, like yeah. try to hurt you. They're at really all. nice and they all care of their pups. So I, I in the lab I take care of bulbsy and B6, and you know the the bulbsy they always care for their pups and the B6 they you know. Sometimes they eat their pups, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have one colony that, like, they're yeah. always eating their pups. Oh, yeah. Like, the experimental ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so strange. But anyway, so I, I, what I understood from this experiment, it, it means that only the phenotype of this T-Rex number phenotype, it only got affected by cross-fostering in case they were transferred early enough for this mother to actually accept mm -hmm. the new pup, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and I just like want to mention that the importance of the time window for uh, acquiring the T-Rex set point. And I was thinking like in the humans when, uh, you know, babies stay in the incubators after, you know, premature babies that stay in incubators, you know, for how long they are not uh, having like milk from their mother and how could these, mm -hmm. you know, be thinking about disease in, in later time point. So it's really, you know, or, you know, mothers that don't give milk or they just give, uh, uh, you know, milk, like, in, I don't know how to say it in English, like formula, sorry. Yeah, you know, oh, like, formula, like, think yeah. about like the importance and, you know, how this could be uh, modifying your or your phenotype and prone to any disease. It was you know, really interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. I saw that you can buy a packet of, of basically common allergens to mix in with formula that you wow. can then give to your baby and then your baby won't have allergies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could, like, could that anyway. work? Yeah, that probably um, would work. I, if what we, I don't know, we probably. understand about allergy enough, but yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> okay, well, in, in the paper, <laughs> um, one conclusion, the conclusion of figure two is that, uh, if you have exposure to the mom and you're being fed by the mom in these first few days of life, that's going to affect the RR gamma TRAG frequency. So it's coming from the mom somehow, not genetic. Mm -hmm. So uh, the next f question they're going to answer in figure three is, does this have a functional consequence? Mm -hmm. And so they have the different mice and they, they test it in a couple of different ways. First, they have a Citrobacter rodentium infection model and uh, that that's an infection that's going to cause a lot of Th1 and Th17 response and we know that Tregs can suppress those and since it's like a, a intestine thing it's going to be the RR gamma Tregs. So um, they look at that within the different strains and how um, the fostered pups can respond to that and see that you know you're going to have uh if you're a black six mouse fostered by a bulb c you'll have the bulb c response if you have uh, a bulb c response that's fostered by a black six you'll have the the black six response showing that this does indeed have a functional uh uh consequence mm -hmm. to actually have this fostering and it turns out they react just like, you know, their foster mother did. Yeah, that's like, it, it, you don't even have to be 
so in the end it doesn't matter if they are b6 or black or bulb c it all that matters is who is their foster mother and they show this through the, the common like uh you know you measure the intestine length and uh the cfus of you know colony forming units of that bacteria hanging out in there and that tells you how well they are able to respond to that particular infection um but moving on the next question is okay so we have these t-reg set points that you get from the foster mom and they clearly that's important they do something they have functional consequences so what is actually uh, mediating this transmission and this is kind of where they just go down like seven rabbit holes and hope for the best uh, they go through they say okay is it microbiome they exclude that is it the t-reg pool they exclude that they look at the contribution of other cell types we call that the microenvironment of, of the development of the t-regs uh, they look at body weight uh, different microbiota composition, nutrition, and also uh, viruses can be transferred through the milk and, and have an effect on uh, how the different cell types develop. But basically, they exclude all of these different things. And uh, we're not going to go into like the specifics of all these experiments, but that's the end of figure three and uh, all of figure four is just being like, is it this? Nope. Is it this? Nope. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that like, uh, figure four is just so much work. I don't even know what to talk about it. They even, sorry, <laughs> they, this... they, they even give uh, milk garbage. Like, I'm just like trying to, you know, <laughs> imagine thinking giving milk to a pup. Like, I don't know, it, it should be really, oh, really no, hard. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, in materials, they, they mentioned in materials and methods, they got breast pumps and they ran these <laughs> breast pumps at the lowest setting to get milk from pregnant wives. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what what are you even doing here? Could you imagine if this was your project? Like, I would feel so, so discouraged every day. I'd be like, I milked the mice and nothing happened. Yeah, imagine presenting it to your department. <laughs> like, I've been milking these mice for a long time and I'm not getting any results. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would have <laughs> cried, but uh, you know that's that's why we're so proud of this paper. It's really an amazing piece of work. Um, so then they're like, okay, well let's look at the other immune cell populations that are known to affect uh, these Tregs. So uh, they looked at different populations in the bone marrow, uh, the lamina propria, which is like in the colon, and Peyer's patches, which are. Uh, think of them like lymph nodes they're not lymph nodes but they're on the outside of the small intestine and what they found was that there's an increase in iga positive plasma cells now plasma cells are the antibody secreting factories um, and iga are it's a certain class of antibody that one you get from breast milk and two um you also secrete in the context of like your mucosal barriers. So they have functions at these different levels. And they found that there were more of these IgA positive plasma cells in the colon. Yep. And these IgAs, I guess these are the, this is the isotype of the antibody more prevalent in the gut, in the mucosal tissues. So that's the kind of antibody yeah, you yeah. would find there. Yeah. So, um, interestingly, they found that, uh, the amount of IgA that you could isolate from the stool um, was inversely correlated with the Rorgamma Tregs. Um, and they were, you know, this was true in both Bulb C and the Black Six. Hold on, you now, said in the stool. In, in, so IgA from the stool was inversely proportional to the Rorgamma T-positive Tregs. That is, <laughs> would you think of looking at IgA in the stool just because you found more, yeah, I plasma cells in the gut? I, I think you would have to because you can't do like a serum ELISA, which is like a, cause that wouldn't show you that it was just in the stool. And I don't that know. is true, yeah. I, I don't deal with the colon a lot, but my lab mate does. And it's always really tricky for her to isolate different parts of, you know, the colon mm -hmm. cause like sticky and gross. And, <laughs> yeah. So I can see why you would go to the stool, but I wouldn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that looks like the easiest way to have some idea about the gut IgA levels. Yeah, so in the in the pups, the only place that they're getting IgA is actually from their mom's breast milk. Mm -hmm. um, they, they aren't able to create their own IgA antibodies at this time. So 
they're like, hey, maybe it's the IGA that is causing this thing. So, uh, yeah, again, they, they looked at, at the pups and they saw that the total IGA in milk from B6 or Bobsy um, w- was related to, to, to the inverse relationship with the T-Rex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have this uh, um, they have this uh, scatter plot where they show this completely negative uh, like a line going down with higher IGAs and lower raw gamete cells. That's a that's a cool correlation to have. Uh, right when we are here, yeah. do we want to talk about? Yeah, let's just talk about what IGAs generally do in the gut. From what I know, IGAs like a really important. Uh, uh, as uh, Natalie mentioned, uh, anti- uh, antibody that is produced in the mu- mucosal barriers and protects you uh, to controlling uh, microbiota. So it maintains homeostasis, uh, the homeostatic ne- levels of microbiota uh, in, in the gut. And actually, if you don't have IgA you uh, or any mutation related to production of, of IgA, you will lead to uh, dysbiosis and, you know, more prone to disease like colitis or I always feel like they are keeping like keeping these microbes in their positions. They're making sure these yes. microbes don't cross the barrier where they're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're tagging them constantly. Probably tagging the IgA may also affect how dendritic cells see these uh, these bacteria. Maybe they don't capture the uh, ba- the bacteria if it's coated with IgA, or maybe they do and just look at it in a different way right yes so overall yeah these are these are marking things that are not supposed to be harmed in some way and also making sure these these commensals they don't go to the wrong side and initiate an immune response yeah so one thing that's really cool about this is that like you know they saw that obviously there's this maternal transmission but maybe it also has a genetic component because it's pretty strongly black six have this and and bulb c have that no matter where they buy the mice from Mm -hmm. and it'll come back after a couple of generations so it's like maybe the iga is something that's dictated by genes but then the iga dictates the t-reg set point so that's how they can can regulate each other yeah 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 i never thought about it that's pretty good way of thinking it no, no, no. Normally, you wouldn't expect in in nature there is no cross fostering happening normally, right? Uh, I was like, I was like reading in, in in internet that some people actually do cross cross fostering in the Middle Ages. You mean humans? Yes. When you say okay, yeah, I mean, no, I, I never heard of that. I, I mean, I, I used to read that in the, like in books, like in history, in the mm-hmm. colony. You know, you know. Uh, people will help you to breastfeeding the, the, the mother because some of the mothers cannot produce a lot of milk. So they mm-hmm. just, I would read in the books, but I mean, I, I wouldn't expect you have like any implication, like transgenerational implications, you know, it's, yeah. Probably people who live in communities and if somebody has too many kids and they're not, produ- they're not able to produce enough milk, the community helps. Next question. All right. So we have IgA plasma cells, which should be hanging out like in the mom, in her gut. So are they indeed going to the breast milk? And they use this really cool, uh, I guess, model. They have this reporter mouse where, uh, how do you say that? Is it Cade positive? Yeah. Cade? So, yeah, that's K- assuming Cade. Cade is a protein <laughs> from a coral. So th- this is Japanese name. I have no idea how they would pronounce it. <laughs> Probably Cade. Yeah. So basically, the way this this <laughs> mouse works is that if you expose uh, the certain cells with UV light, then the cells that are you know Cade positive and exposed to UV light will have uh, will mm-hmm. start expressing a red fluorescent pro- protein, and it'll just that's that cell is marked red for the rest of its little cellular life. So they took the pregnant female mice and they, they UV light exposed their little intestines. And then this way they were able to look for IgA plasma cells and where they were migrating to. And so they found that red fluorescing cells from the intestine were moving their way oh. up to the mammary glands. So this is really uh, exciting that it happened in the pregnant milk, uh, pregnant mice because this means this migration uh, starts a little bit earlier and then 
by lactation, you know, they're actually giving the IgA to their babies. So this is the enteromammary axis that we've been talking about, that there's something from the mother's gut that's going to the mother's milk that's and going then to the baby. And the baby's gut. <laughs> it's and like, then to the baby's gut. Circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's really I cool. really want to appreciate this reporter so, um, system. These so this K protein is normally green fluorescent yes. until yes exposed to UV light, which then it becomes red fluorescent. So you shine some light UV light on the intestine. Suddenly, all the cells that were in the intestine are red, while everything else is green. And anything that leaves from the intestine will take mm-hmm. this color identity yes. with itself. So it's so easy to track where it's going. I wonder how these guys come up with these models. It's it's it just it blows my mind. Well, it's it's really nice because like you could have a conditional mm-hmm. reporter mouse for plasma cells, I know, but uh, then you would never know where the plasma cells particularly came from. Yeah, so it's like you have to use a reporter that you could control a little bit more to know exactly right. where things are at any given time. Yeah, exactly. I just want to add something on this figure, uh, which is uh, taking back uh, one of the points uh, of, of the, the discussion is that when we look at the numbers of IgA producing cells that migrate to the mammary gland enough, we see like it's almost the same. But when we look at the IgA production, it's you have like more in the biopsy. So, you know, the, the same numbers of cells are migrating to the, no matter if you are fostered by a B6 or a biopsy, but it's something about the genes that will make you produce more, more uh, IgA at least at the milk. It's, it's you know yeah. you will have here some genetic factor that is driving the at least the IgA production. Yeah, it could be some some growth factor yeah. or some cytokine produced in the mammary gland that is differentially stimulating or inhibiting, yes. right? That's mm-hmm. also possible. Yeah, so there is something genetic for sure, but just to know that this is a way of transmitting information that is kept throughout generations it's just so cool yeah (laughs) really really neat Mm -hmm. so the model that they've kind of come up with at this point is that somehow some way the plasma cell like the iga is is regulating the t-regs and maybe the t-regs also regulate the iga so here's where they basically create different conditional knockouts uh they have one or this isn't conditional actually but they have a mouse that doesn't make uh any sort sort of antibody and they look at the number of ror gamma t-regs uh in the strains and this is an f1 progeny so mice that have been crossed every which way and uh they see that if you don't have the ig you have more ROR gamma T-regs. So this means that the IgA from the milk dictates the amount of, of ROR gamma T-regs. Right, so but then, it's like they're confirming oh, what they just found, right? It's, it's Yeah, mm. yeah. So this is a genetic way to confirm kind of what they've been seeing uh, just correlationally. And what's right? the knockout in the year? Like, how did they remove all the antibodies? With the G-chain, oh. the heavy G-chain. The heavy G-chain? So you don't okay. Yeah. So I guess these these mice just don't have any B, any mature B cells. Exactly. Because yeah, because B cells in order to survive, they need to have a functional B cell receptor on their membrane. And without the J chain, they don't have it, so they just go through apoptosis. Mm-hmm. So this is like B cells are produced, but they never get out in the periphery. They never make it out of the bone marrows in this model. Yeah, I guess it's not a perfect system because that's that's a lot of different type of B cells. Uh, but anyway, then they mm-hmm. check the inverse, where you have the conditional knockout of uh, RAR gamma. Uh, so it's like a FOXP3 specific, RAR gamma specific. And um, they indeed see that if you're missing these particular type of Tregs, you're going to have an increase in IgA-coded bacteria. So... They, they act in an inverse uh, way to each other, IgA and RAR gamma Tregs, and it doesn't matter which one's disrupted first, they're always gonna act in inverse to each other. So they call this a double negative feedback loop between IgA and RAR gamma Tregs. And it's the, the IgA that you get from your mom is setting the balance of those two things. It's pretty cool stuff. 
like in this model yeah. they have specifically deleted those like spe- specifically deleted those uh transcription factor roar gamma mm-hmm. when it mm-hmm. activates alongside fox v3 yeah so it's like if you if you look at it from a, a logical perspective so i'm i i sometimes think about things from a computer programming perspective so you, ha- you have two conditions <laughs> here and both of them must be met in order for this cell to not exist so one of them actually it's it's going to exist it's just going to not express roar gamma mm. it must yeah. express fox b3 and then if it's expressing fox b3 the enzyme the cre recombinase is going to cleave that gene segment that codes for the roar gamma so this fox b3 positive cell which is a regular t-reg will never become this specialized t-reg so now you have created yep. just you have just removed the kind of cell you wanted to remove instead of killing all the fox b3s or everything yeah so it's a very it's a very nice model i wonder how these like i i cannot accept the fact that they are 100% efficient this model creelop mm-hmm. hey, do you guys know how how Yeah. How many times it works? I mean, it, it depends on the Cree. We use a lot of Cree models in my lab. Uh, but I mean, it's usually sufficient enough to see plenty of a phenotype like 80% plus of those cells are going to get knocked out. Mhm. Yeah. And one thing that I want to mention here as well is that this ROR gamma is also a transcription factor in T helper 17 cells. So if they yeah. just yeah. knocked out ROR gamma generally they would also be removing a lot of TL per 17 cells which is some background you don't you don't want to remove things that you're not sure what they're doing that's pretty clean one yeah. and in case I I I'm so if I listen to if I listen to this and I feel like what but what is the whole point of ROR gamma like why why are these so specialized I want to just add one point to that is that this transcription factor or gamma it allows for a for the expression of a very specific chemokine receptor called CCR6 so chemokines are like cellular messengers that tell you where to go and chemokine receptors tell the cell where to go based on which chemokine it receives so these or gamma T-regs they specialize in clearing in clearing inflammation that comes from T helper 17 cells which also express the same transcription factor ROR gamma and mm-hmm. since both of these are expressing the same transcription factor they both have a similar chemokine receptor that allows these T-rex to localize or end up in the same place where the T helper 17 cells will go so they don't have to be in huge numbers they just are already targeted to wherever T helper 17s are going so it's easier them for them to locate them and clear infection. This is a very sophisticated system set up in our immune system. I I just love it. We don't understand 1% of this, <laughs> but it just <laughs> it's just so mind-boggling. The immune system yeah. is the most advanced evolutionary thing we yeah. have. <laughs> <laughs> so what what what's our overall confu- conclusion here? I mean, wait, hold on a second. We did we just did we just establish this double negative feedback loop? It's so strange. Yeah. I would never expect IGAs to be regulating T-reg. T-reg. I feel like if if they did not show this data and somebody told this to me over text, I would accuse them of lying <laughs> <laughs> and peddling fake news because there's no way something like this is real. But yeah, I, they have they've clearly shown that this is happening. Some, I don't know. I think there's a lot of mechanistic <laughs> stuff that they still need to dive into. Like yeah. you're right. I I still don't like how is this happening? What is the IGA triggering in mm-hmm. the RR gamma T-regs? And then also in in one of those experiments back in like figure 4 or figure 3, they did like a a transient T-reg cell knockout and they came back to the same level. Yeah. So where is this information being stored? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. <laughs> It's still cool though. Yeah, the, the, the work in this paper is a lot enough to get a publication, mm-hmm. even two publications. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean like the basic idea of, of just like cross-fostering, we could have done that in the lab like in any place in the world. I mean it's it's really a cool observation of of of, of you know, yeah, of, of nature, yeah. <laughs> and they do say in the discussion they say they serendipitously. <laughs> yeah. 
discovered this phenomena. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And nobody is looking nobody is making hypotheses about these things because it's just so complicated and out of like out of the blue you have something like this happening. Yeah, I think it shows that, you know, you should be curious and always paying attention to things, you know, in lab because you never know where it might lead you. Yeah. Clearly they got dragged down a lot of different rabbit holes, but it worked out. Yeah, I am I'm, I'm glad it worked out because after running all those experiments, if they got nowhere, this would be it would be a bummer. Oh yeah. And I feel sorry right. for that graduate student who has to present this data <laughs> and like present one hour of data and then mention we don't know anything still. <laughs> yeah. Well, do we want to dive into discussion? So, yes, yeah, you guys have mentioned this is really a, a serendipity a, a discovery of how uh, uh, an enteroaxis uh, link between uh, the mother and the and the pup somehow shapes your immune system. Particularly, in, uh, we're looking at drug gamma T, and it's something related also with the IgA uh, producing cells. So uh, we might think of what is the functionality of uh, you know having more or less IgA and or more or less drug gamma T FOXP3 cells and. Which will that will somehow protect you from uh, you know um, infections or uh, controlling uh, uh, homeostatic microbiota. So mm -hmm. yeah, it, I think the the most important here uh, I will recall is that the authors show uh, they still demonstrate a non-genetic basis of herit heritability. You know, we always think about genes, we always think about environments, we always think about uh, epigenetics or microbiota, but now we we now have to think that there's a way of, of transgenerational inheritance that is not, is, is mother dependent, I would say. And, you know, this is a fantastic uh, thing of, of any, any, and, 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 I mean, at least at the paper, we only see one trait, which is T-Rex, but just imagine how many different immune or non-immune traits could be uh, inherited by the mother, and we are missing all of this information. And we do all of type of experiments in the lab, and we somehow misunderstanding how the, the immune system works and how it, the immune system is shaped through evolution. Right. Yeah, I think I noted here, it's like, there's obviously the contribution of Darwinian evolution, but that takes a really, really long time and it's not very adaptable. And then plus, you know, your own immune system is making great strides during your lifetime that you're not able to pass on to your, your offspring. Mm -hmm. So in this way, you know, you're able to pass those on to your children, which is Lamarckian evolution, which they tell us is super wrong, but it turns out it's, it happens mm -hmm. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, non-genetic. It just having an environment do something about it. I have a very, I have a very, <laughs> I don't know how to how to say it, a very unconventional hypothesis. Maybe one day we'll find out that these antibodies actually have some way to get inside the nucleus, and they are changing the genetic material. Like <laughs> what if? <laughs> What if these ideas? Dude, they're so giant, yeah. though. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, they are giant. But... Yeah, if, if one day we find some epigenetic link to antibodies that get inside the cell, I have this on record. I have said it on this podcast. And <laughs> if there is a Nobel Prize awarded, I want in for that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll keep our yeah. eye out for you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So with this paper, um, we can we say that who is breastfeeding the child actually has clear implications on his immune system, right? Yep. Yes. Clearly. Okay. Does that so it, can we say that people? So let's say you have you have a history of cancer running in your in your family, and could you say that? somebody who doesn't have a lot of relatives with cancer maybe they should be breastfeeding your kid and would that have implication <laughs> like could you say like this could I be a know. real thing right if people who know that they have cancer running in their or autoimmunity running in their family if they know this is one way how they can actually transmit this 
resistance because probably raw gamma T positive T-Rex, they have some role in T in autoimmunity and cancer. So if you have mm-hmm. somebody else deliver the milk, this could be a, like a real business model. I know well, what I want to do after my do- PhD. <laughs> I am open. We got to do long-term studies yeah. of bottle babies versus breastfed babies and see the incidence of autoimmunity in them because they wouldn't have very many <laughs> IgA in, you know, auto, you know, formula bought from Ralph's. <laughs> or or uh, I just need to tweet this to the president and <laughs> hope he There you go. Hope there he you go. And, and then he he says that on Fox News sometime. <laughs> He'll help me. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, a g- I mean, good business model here. Yeah. If it works. <laughs> All right. Who- but I guess uh-huh. altogether, we know that Rorgamma T-Regs have a huge role in a lot of different diseases. Of course, this article is very mechanistic on what happens in health. Mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe it will provide us a new perspective in how these things uh, are carried on from generation to generation because everybody's always doing GWAS mm-hmm. studies and looking for the right mutations or the right combination of mutations. But obviously, autoimmunity is way more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. So I think a huge significance of this paper is offering another way to look at heritability in, in Treg function. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, maybe thinking or trying to modify the Treg set point, you know, and just before, you know, uh, pregnancy or something to to control. Yeah, yeah, that will be. I mean, that is like really out of the world, but it's total probability to to see something yeah. like that. Yeah. Also, if anybody ever opens a a, a business where they are <laughs> where they're talking about breastfeeding from healthy mothers, I am in for that because it's my idea and I have it on record right in this podcast. <laughs> I actually, there's there's a company like seriously a mile from me that works on putting different concentrations and different types of antibodies in formula for babies. So Whoa. you just need to pitch your idea to them. <laughs> but yeah, good stuff. In case, so let's cool. let's just assume right now, since we are done with the discussion, somebody slept through the first fifteen hours that we have been discussing this paper. <laughs> How can we summarize the whole paper? Uh, you get your colonic T-reg population from your mm-hmm. mom, and and not just your birth mom, the mom who gave you breast milk and who fostered you right. through your your childhood. And the amount of IgA that was in that milk is going to negatively influence the amount of mm-hmm. colonic regulatory T cells that you will have. Yeah, and finally, and just finally, you have. Uh plasma cells migrating towards the mammary gland and you know those cells will be the one producing IgA and somehow uh, allow the enteromammary axis to be transferred to the to the pup you know it's really amazing discovery and we will control you know your T-Rex set point and you know that with that you know microbiome and also I don't know prone to any disease you know yeah <laughs> How about, so I have this, I have a real hypothesis, I'm not, it's not a business idea, but uh, <laughs> what if these IGAs, the number of IGAs, the, or the amount of IGAs that go and tag your bacteria, maybe they are doing something to the dendritic cells, which changes their ability to induce colonic T-Rex. That- it's got, it's got to be something like that. Uh, someone's holding on to the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's like this this thing is set at like three days, but your T regs don't even show up till like fourteen days or mouse mm-hmm. ones don't. Right. So one of the immune cells is holding on to that information. I have no idea who. Yeah, seriously. This this information is if it's passing through generations and generations, it has to be a very stable form of information. Uh it cannot be like antibodies degrade. They don't they don't stay forever in the blood. They have they degrade no. in a few days. So it, they can't be the the medium this information is stored in. Maybe they, that's what starts it, but that cannot be the stable trans uh, like transmission so medium. I have a really honest and a naive question. Do you know how those dendritic cells sense IgA coated bacteria? So I I'll just hypothesize probably probably the 
FC receptors, but that's very lame hypothesis. But <laughs> how? Because that, like the IgA in the stool is is dimeric, no? So how? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Maybe there's a J chain receptor. I don't that, know. That joining chain receptor. Unknown. Unknown. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody knows <laughs> yes. and can tell us. And it's just like, just like, send us an email. Yeah, hopefully, and call us dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we say unknown, it just means we don't know. It doesn't mean we, we don't speak for the literature. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. I think I think this would be a very good time to wrap up the discussion. It was it was a lovely paper, completely out of the box. It. So I was just taken aback by the kind of information they they showed here, and it has given me a possibility of a global prize and a business startup. So, can't ask for more than that. <laughs> this is good stuff. Uh, thanks a lot, Yuhadio and Natalie, for joining this discussion. Thank you, everybody who's listening. Uh, thanks a lot for joining. Uh, do check out our Facebook page. We post a lot of memes and sometimes valuable information. You also have an email where you can mention your queries or you can uh, message directly on the page. See you all guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.